Revelation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. <coughs> Romans chapter 4. Paul has spent the first two and a half chapters of Romans presenting all mankind as being guilty before a holy God. So the question comes, as we look at this, how can a man be right with God? Is there any way for a man to be right with God? And in the second half of chapter 3, Paul has already pointed out, uh, he puts forth the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness imputed to us as a gift. Uh, there in verse 24 of chapter 3, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is done, he says in verse 28, apart from the works of the law. It is sola fide, faith alone. It is faith alone in Christ alone. So here in chapter 4, uh, Paul is going to take Abraham away from the proponents of a works righteousness and set him forth as an example of those who are saved by faith alone. Now, the Jewish people looked at Abraham. He was the pinnacle of being a Jew. And they believed that because of the, uh, the faithfulness of Abraham, because of the obedience of Abraham, because of the works of Abraham, that God had declared him righteous. When the book of Genesis, not just here in Romans, but the book of Genesis clearly says different. Look with me in the first uh, five verses of chapter four. Paul says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul, Paul here, he points out in these first five verses that Abraham was justified by faith before he did any great works. Now, we, we need to understand why Paul is saying all this. Because not only did it exist in his day when he wrote this letter to the Roman church, but it exists in our day as well. This idea that in order for me to be right with God, in order for me to have a relationship with God, I must do certain things. I must belong to a certain church. I must be baptized. I must partake of the Lord's Supper or communion. I must do this. I must do that. And then God will accept me. 
And this is how the Jew looked at salvation. As a matter of fact, when, when in the book of Acts, we see that when uh, God began to bring the Gentiles into the church, you know, for the first probably hundred years of the church, it was predominantly Jewish. But when God began to bring the Gentiles in, the first thing the Jewish people said is, yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And, and Paul wrote the entire book of Galatians about that and, and telling them how that is not true. So, but, but in order to catch the full impact of Abraham's faith, we need to go all the way back. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15. And to put chapter 15 in context, Abraham has just come back from rescuing Lot and his family from some marauding kings who had taken them captive. And he has, on the way back, he has met with Melchizedek. <clears throat> Melchizedek has blessed him. Abraham has blessed him. And in, in, ver in chapter 15, we see where God establishes his covenant with Abraham. Uh, Abraham is, is dejected. He is downcast. In verse 1, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. <clears throat> I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. He said, I am your shield, Abram, and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram here is in, is in a dire straits. He says, Lord, you have promised to give me a reward. You have promised to make me a great nation. But Lord, I have no heir. I have no one to take my place except my servant. And in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here's Abram. He's childless. He and Sarah both are well past childbearing age. And yet God takes him outside and says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Can you count them? He said, that's the number of your descendants. He said, look at the sand of the sea. Can you count them? That is the number of your descendants. And what did Abraham do with all of this? Well, look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So it is at this point that God makes a promise to Abram. And Abraham believed God. Even in spite of the fact that he and Sarah were well past times of having children. Now, yes, later on, Abraham tries to give God a little help. And today, the world is still paying for that, by the way. But the point is, 
We know, we know that God accounted to Abraham righteousness simply on the basis of believing what God said. Because three times that I know of in the Bible, it says it right here in in Genesis 15 and twice there in Romans chapter 4. It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The word counted or the word uh, yours may say reckoned or considered or imputed. These words occur 11 times here in chapter 4 of Romans. And, and this is all means that righteousness was credited to Abraham because of his faith and not because of his works. Now, as I studied this and I prepared this message, I was convicted Because I have found that in my own life, there are times when I say, if I don't pray enough, God's not going to bless me. Or, you know, if I don't uh, always do the right thing, well, God's going to be, you know, mad at me. You know, none of that's true. Did you know, did you know, Christian, let me tell you something that you may not know. If you are a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, God never, ever gets mad at you. You know why? Because he took it all out on Christ at the cross. But you see how we can get into that works oriented relationship. And this is what Paul is trying to say. And and the, the main thrust of what Paul is saying here is for us to know that we are saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone. And what's the ultimate? To the glory of God alone. That God will receive the glory. That's why he says there in verse 2, he says, For if Abraham was was justified by works, he has reason to boast. He says, but not before God. You know, I, I may boast to you, you may boast to me, but we can't boast to God. And so that's what he's saying. So, uh... Having established that faith alone principle from Genesis 15, Paul, uh, he he next states this principle in what uh, were startling terms to the Jew. He said, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Now, you know, if it's uh, 107 degrees outside and old Lonnie comes over to my house and mows my yard, and I pay him, and somebody asks me about it next Sunday and says, oh, yeah, I gave him a gift. It was a gift of money for doing what he did for me. Is that true? No. You, you don't work for a gift. A gift is freely given and is never earned. And so this is what Paul is talking about, uh, having established this principle here that the doctrine of faith alone, it offends our natural sensibilities. We are taught from the day we're born, if we want anything, we have to work for it. We have to earn it. Or somebody said, I got my salvation the old fashioned way. I earned it. Is that true? No, it is not true. You cannot earn your salvation. So we naturally think justification should go only to those who are good, but not to the ungodly. When we forget the fact that we are all ungodly, all of us. 
That's what Paul says there in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He says, there's none righteous, there's no, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know who is included in that word all? All. All. All have sinned. None of us are good. Salvation will be by faith alone or it will not be at all. So grace has the power that the law never had. So we see that Abraham... <clears throat> Although he did a lot of mighty deeds, you know, I, I think about the fact that uh, this is so beautiful a picture right here, okay? Paul has talked about and shown us from Genesis 15 how Abraham believed God and God accounted to him as righteousness. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, you, your descendants will be more than the sand of the sea, okay? Now, now don't miss this, folks. Several, sometime later, Isaac will be born. Abraham will be 100. Sarah will be 99. Ladies, how many of you can picture having a baby at 99 years old? But she did, and she was glad of it. So God fulfilled his promise, and he said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Okay? Don't miss that. Sometime later, God's going to come to Abram and says, Abram, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. You know what Abraham did? He packed up and he headed to Moriah. And they're walking up. He and, 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 and as, as they're going up, the servants say, he looks at the servants and he says, you wait here. We'll be back. We'll be back. Now, God just said, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son. But you see what God had promised Abraham? In Isaac shall your seed be called. This is the demonstration of Abraham's faith as he takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And you know, there are many biblical scholars that believe that Mount Moriah, many, many years later, thousand years later, is a place called Mount Calvary. They believe it's the same place. And I don't doubt that. But here's the thing they get up there. Isaac is laid upon the altar. And by the way, Isaac was no little boy. He was probably 30, 33 years old, grown man. But yet he willingly laid himself there. And, and, and he says, Father, where? Here's the fire. Here's the knife. But where's the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide himself a lamb. And so as he's about to strike Isaac and take his life, the angel of the Lord stops him. And he says, stop. Now I know that you love me. Now we cannot misinterpret what he means right there. He's not saying, I didn't know if you loved me before, Abraham, but now I know you do. No, he was saying, Abraham, now I know you believe me. You believe me. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. So the point that that all makes is this, is yes, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. When we get saved, we are given a new heart. When we, by faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're given a new heart. And that new heart always produces a new life. You show me someone who's living their life one way, and then they come to a place where they say, I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they continue to live that life that way, and I'll show you a liar. Because you cannot. 
Once you come to Christ, you will always be a different person. So we see that the grace has the power to do what the law never had. And it was by grace alone. And if you this morning are saved, it is you are saved because you believed God. And he accounted it to you as righteousness. He imputed that to you. But then Paul goes on. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> Just as David also speaks of the blessing to the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here we see that Abraham was saved by faith. And here we see that David was forgiven by faith. You remember the story, he, he takes Bathsheba, he commits adultery with her, he tries to cover it up with her husband, her husband won't play along, so he has him murdered. You know, the interesting thing about that is this, David is king. He has committed adultery and he is murdered. And everybody in the kingdom knows it. But David thinks nobody knows. God confronts him through the prophet Nathan. You know, Nathan tells him the story about a rich man who had a lot and the poor man who had very little and how the rich man threw a party and took what was long. And David was indignant. He was just outraged at this. And he says, that man will die. And, and you know, I, I can never get this image out of my mind. I can picture this prophet of God standing up to the king of Israel, pointing his finger and says, you are that man. And you know what David said? Nothing. David knew he was in trouble. David knew he'd been found out. David knew that God was going to kill him. But Nathan said, but David, take heart. God has put away your sin and you will not die. And you know what David did when Nathan said that? He believed him. He believed him. I have seen uh, those who claim to be followers and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ... We all sin. We can all fall into sin. And I have seen believers do this. And I have seen them as they say, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Can I tell you something? Nobody cares whether you can forgive yourself. You're not the judge. God is the only one that matters. And when God says you're forgiven, guess what? You're forgiven. It's just that simple. And we can believe that or not believe that. And, and I have seen people who have fallen, uh, believers who have fallen up from grace and fallen into sin. And they say, you know what? I have completely messed up my life. There's no way that God can use me anymore. Now, there's a million things wrong with that statement. I'm going to cover two. Number one, you are not that powerful. You are not so powerful as to overrule the rule of God. And another thing is, whatever you have done, he already knew about it before he ever called you. So like David, we need to come and understand that, that, that when he quotes Psalm 32 here, 
And he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. You know, David wrote this, Psalm 32, after he wrote Psalm 51. Now, Psalm 51, what's David do? He says, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. It's ever before me. He cries out for God's mercy. Psalm 32 is where David says, and God gave it to me. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, notice what happened here. With Abraham, God, uh, he believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. David sinned, and he asked for forgiveness, and he believed God, and God did not count his sins against him. Isn't that wonderful? How that works? So when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, David, uh, he knew his case was hopeless. That there was nothing he could do but cast himself upon God's mercy. And there's nothing that you and I can ever do to atone for our own sins. Our only hope is found in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. I'm going to ask you again. I asked you this several weeks ago. Do you have... A but now time in your life. You know, over in Ephesians, let me see if I can find this verse right quick. In Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it is. I'm sorry, it's chapter 2. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that now works at the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. You see those, Paul's but now in Romans and Paul's but God in Ephesians are the same thing. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But now, do you have a but now time in your life? Do you have a time where you said, I was here, but God did this. David, Abraham could say, there was a time when I did not know the Lord, but now I have believed him. David could say, there was a time when I had sinned greatly against God, and I was hopeless, and I deserved his wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy. Do you have a time like that in your life when you could say that? I hope that all of us do. Then look at verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. 
while he was still uncircumcised. The promise was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here's what Paul's dealing with. The Jews were saying, you know what? Abraham was counted righteous because before God because he was circumcised. The problem is what we read there in Genesis 15 when it says that Abraham believed God and God accounted it, him, accounted it to him as righteousness. It was at least 19 years later before he was circumcised. So Paul says, your argument holds no water. And, and his point, and, and how does this apply to you and I today? Because we don't look at this the same way, but, but in a way we do. Because I, I, I am astonished at the number of, of Bible-believing churches, and I use that term with quotations, who believe that unless you get in that baptistry, you're not saved. Now, can you imagine, I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to look at you and say, I am so glad I got baptized, or I wouldn't be here. Lord, thank you for all you did, but you know I got baptized, so you got to let me in. Can you imagine saying that to God? I can tell you exactly what he would say. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So Paul indicates that Abraham was counted as righteous at least uh, 19 years before he was circumcised. And faith alone was a Gentile principle long before it was a Jewish reality. So here's what Paul's saying. You see, the Jews were saying, okay, we get it. Abraham was, was, was uh, accounted righteous because he believed God. Our, our king, our father, David, he was accounted uh, forgiven his sins, but they're Jewish. <clears throat> and Paul says, well, let me tell you a little something about Abraham. <laughs> there in Genesis 15, he was still a Gentile. He hadn't become a Jew. And so Paul says, this, this holds no water what you're saying right here. Faith alone was a Gentile principle long before it was a Jewish reality. So faith alone is for the Jew and the Gentile. Abraham, David, and all who are saved today are saved by faith. I remember as a young Christian something that I learned that just astonished me, just blew my mind. That Abraham was saved the same way I was. That David was saved the same way you were. That all the Old Testament saints were saved the same way all the New Testament saints are saved. Because, you know why that is, by the way? Because there's only one way to be saved. And that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They looked forward to something that we look back to. You know, you, you think about how, uh, you know, how many of you have ever thought about the fact, and, and I'm telling you, I fully expect to meet Adam in heaven. You know how I know that? Because when he was cast out of the garden, you know what the first thing was he did? He made a sacrifice to God. He pointed to Christ. 
and we will see him. And, and this is the only way how we all get there. So Abraham and David and all of these were saved by faith, by simply believing what God says. That's all faith is, is saying, God, I take you at your word. But when we say that, we have to understand God says we're sinners. And I say, God, I believe you. Now, I may think I'm a good person, but what I think is irrelevant. What God says is all that matters. So I, by faith, take God's word that I'm a sinner. And he says, you abide under the wrath of God. And I say, yes, I do. And I deserve it by faith. I know that's true. And he says, but... But now I have provided a way. I have provided a way for you to be made right with me. My son died on a cross over 2,000 years ago. How many of you were there? None of you? Roger, you weren't even there? You didn't see this? But we know it happened. How do we know it happened? Do we know it happened because secular history tells us it did? No. We know it happened because the Bible tells us it did. But more than that, more than the fact that he was crucified, your sin was laid on him. Do you know that for a fact? How do we know that? Simply because God told us it was. And so we believe him. And you know what God said? He said, they have believed me. And I'm accounting it to them as righteousness. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he should, would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. So Paul here, he says in verse 13, he says, The promise to Abraham and his offspring is that they would be heirs of the world. He said, but it didn't come through the law. It came through faith. And he says, you know how I know that? He says, because if it does come through the law, then you don't need faith. By the way, it can't come to the law. Because the law only does one thing. It condemns us. But you know what faith did? It was counted as righteousness. So Paul is separating these two here and, and said if, if circumcision and its many blessings had had nothing to do with Abraham's justification, the law had even less to do with it. Uh, pursuing righteousness both by the law and by faith is totally impossible. It, it, it comes down to this. We either believe God or we don't. Throughout his ministry, you know, there was a, a man who came to Jesus and he's, he, he said, Lord, my daughter, my servant, that's what it was. He said, my servant is sick and he's about to die. And Jesus said, let's go. And he said, no. He said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He said, just say the word. And this man was a Roman centurion, by the way. He said, just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all Israel. He said, go your way. Your servant lives. Okay? You read on in the text, and you know what it says? It says, the next day when the man went home. He didn't run home to see if what happened. He just simply believed what Jesus said. And you know what happened? His servant was healed. 
just simply believing what God says. God is either a man of his word or he's not. <coughs> but pursuing righteousness both by the law and by faith is impossible. The law makes the promise worthless because if we have to keep the law to receive the promise, then the promise will never be fulfilled because we cannot keep the law. Uh, the law brings wrath, he says there in verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, the law def uh, brings defeat. The law brings condemnation, but faith brings joy. Faith brings assurance. Assurance. Let me ask you something. Do you have a but now time in your life when you just simply said, God, I believe you. And that's it. I just believe you. Now, again, I, I, I don't want us to understand as we talked about with Abraham and he went later on to sacrifice Isaac, how his works proved his salvation. They did not earn his salvation. And it will be the same in your life and mine. If you look at what Paul says and what James says in his book, and a lot of people think they're contradicting each other, but they're not. You see, Paul, when he says that we are saved by faith apart from works, is talking about the root of our salvation. He's talking about getting saved. But when James says that we are saved by faith and our works, he's saying, talking about the fruit of our salvation. Paul's talking about getting saved. James is talking about being saved. So in other words, no, there is nothing you and I can do except believe God, take him at his word, and we will be saved. But that faith will be put into works, put into action. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that faith does not come from yourselves, Paul says. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man could boast, so that we may do good works. We are saved not by our works, but to do good works. And so faith, uh, you, you want to find joy, you want to find happiness, you want to find assurance in your salvation. Just simply say, God, I believe your word. And God says, that's all I ask of you is to just trust me, to just trust me. Verse 16 <clears throat> says, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Here, Paul draws a magnificent conclusion uh, that, you know, you know, today it is fashionable to derive our preaching agendas from the felt needs of men and women. Now, I find this fascinating. And I even have pastor friends who do this. They, they go out into the community and say, what do you need? And we as a church, that's what we'll be. Now, it would take me an hour to tell me what all's wrong with that. Okay. But here's the thing. We say, they say, we need to meet the, now, now listen to these words. We need to meet the felt needs of the people in this community. 
What that means is we need to meet the needs they feel they have. All right. So here's what we'll do. We'll go out into this community and we'll ask these people, what do you need? And you will hear things like, well, I need more money. Or I need a car or I need a house. Let me tell you what you will never hear. You know what? I need to be saved. You know what? I feel like I need my sins forgiven. You will never hear that. And I want to tell you, folks, that is the only felt need they need met. All the rest of it doesn't matter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people. I, we, we should do that. You know, I, I used to have a friend of mine that had this ministry. And she, she felt she took care of homeless people. She, she provided food for people. She, provide, she helped pay their rent, helped pay their bills. And I, I asked her one time, I said, so at what point during all of this do you share the gospel? She said, well, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to do this. And I said, so what you're doing is you are making their world a better place to go to hell from is all you're doing. I said, do you know what you're accomplishing is absolutely nothing. If we're not sharing with them the bread of life and the water of life. So <clears throat> when Paul says that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on the grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. What people need today is a clear understanding of the book of Romans, especially the first two and a half chapters, because until they understand the first two and a half chapters, they're not going to understand the rest of it. Until they understand that there is none who does good. There's none who seeks after God. They're never going to understand what there is now. Therefore, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. They're not going to understand that. We need to understand just how radically sinful we are. How sin so affects every part of us that we are totally unable to live up to God's standards and bring about our own salvation. And that without Christ, we are nothing but lost and dead. Dead. We need to understand that we're in need of a righteousness that we do not obtain, that we do not have, that comes only from God and that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that we need is to stand in the presence of a holy God is his righteousness. I love this principle right here. Okay, This brings me more comfort than you will ever know. What God demands, God provides. God did not look at us and say, okay, your righteousness is like filthy rags. You're going to have to put on some new clothes or you can't come into my presence. Now you go and you find out a way. You obey my law or you do something, but you don't come back to me until you have the right clothes on. You know what's going to happen? We're all going to hell. God says, no, your filth, your, your, your righteousness is, is filth to me, God says. But he turns and he says, take off those filthy rags of his. Clothe him with the righteousness that I provide. Then you can stand in my presence. 
But you see how this all happens. God initiates everything. God finishes everything. And God takes care of everything in the middle. So what are we going to boast about? Oh, we can boast. But we better boast in Him. Let me tell you what Christ has done. Let me show you who Jesus is. We must understand what Paul says. You know, I think we have read this verse every week since I started Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, or 8 and 9. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through faith, or through from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And be found in Him, having His righteousness, not my own. Whose righteousness do you stand in? Do you stand before your God today and say, Lord, here I am. I'm doing the best I can. He's going to say, that's not good enough. Can you stand before God today in, in your righteousness and say, Lord, I was so good. And he's going to say, no, you're not. Or you stand there and hear him look at you and say, you know what? You look just like my son. You know, Jesus has a coat just like that. And I say, yeah, I know. This is it. <laughs> he gave it to me. By the way, he's got enough for all of us. Stand in his righteousness, Paul says. It was sola fide for Abraham, for David, for the Gentiles, before, during, and after the law. And it will always be by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we will be saved. Have you by faith received this righteousness that God offers? When God demanded, He provided. Have you received it? You only receive it by faith. You know, uh, the Bible says a lot of things about you and I as believers that if we look at it from a sight perspective, we say, okay, really? For one thing, it says that we're already seated with Christ in the heavens. How many of you look around you and think you're in heaven? <laughs> I mean, I realize my wife does because she lives with me, but <laughs> Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I think we've talked about this already too, but listen what he says. He says, and those whom he predestined, past tense, he also called past tense. And those whom he called, he has justified past tense. And those whom he has justified, he's also glorified. How many of you feel glorified today? You know, um, <clears throat> how many of you feel like a Christian? How many of you can look at your life and say, wow, I really am a Christian. Look at me. Look at what I do. Look at what I don't do. How many of you do that? I hope none of you. <laughs> because if you are, you're deceiving yourself. 
But the Bible says that as a believer in Christ, when I place my faith in Christ, that when I say, Lord, forgive me, he says, done. When I say, Lord, I believe you, he says, done. You're one of mine. And he says it's already done. So have you by faith received this righteousness from God? Have you by faith run to Christ and, and, and uh, realized what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again? Or you cannot see the kingdom of God. We hear a lot of talk today. You know, I, I never realized... I mean, I always realized the impact of being born again. But you know that today that has brought in a whole new thing. Because today we hear, well, I was born that way. And we can now say, well, yeah, that's why Jesus said you must be born again. <laughs> but you see, to be born again means to be made alive. Now, all of us here have been born. How many of you remember the day of your birth? Don't lie. You know none of us do. But how many of you helped with that? How many of you said, you know what, I think I'm going to be born today. I think today's the day that I'm going to just have life. None of us did. By the way, it's the same in salvation with the new birth. We don't have any part in that. It's all of God. But have we run to Christ? Have we recognized our sin and fallen on our knees before him and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I must be born again. I confess my sin to you. Have you done this? Today, we need to put our complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to, don't, don't let me close this without pointing out this very important aspect of this. The only way you will ever be saved is by faith alone. The only way you will ever live for Christ is by faith alone. You know, your faith doesn't stop after you've been saved. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, this is what the people in Galatia were doing when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians. He says, he says okay, so Paul says, here's what happened. You, you began in the spirit, but now you're perfected in the flesh. He was being sarcastic. He said, no, that's not how it works. You see, we are saved by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We will die by faith. But after we're saved by faith, works will come. But we can never at any point begin to look and say, Lord, look what I've done for you. Lord, look where I went for you. Lord, look who I talked to for you. We can never do that. We are saved by faith from beginning to end. And that is a wonderful thought. Do you have any idea how wonderful that is? Because it is such a mind-blowingly wonderful thing to know that I have nothing to do with my salvation. That I can look and say, well, you know what? Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I fail God every day. But I believe God. I believe God. When he says, if I will confess my sin, he, will say he is faithful and just and he will forgive me my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So Paul says, 
That's why it depends on faith in verse 16, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Can God look at you and say, he believed me? And it was accounted as righteousness. She believes me and it's accounted as righteousness. Do we have a but now time in your life? Do you have a but God time in your life? Let's pray. Father, oh God, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Father, that our salvation is all of your work from beginning to end. That we play no part other than the sin that makes it necessary. Father, may we learn that always to boast in what you've done for us, what you continue to do for us. Father, I pray that we would daily remember that we walk by faith, not by sight. That we have been saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that he deserves all the glory for it. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.